John 16, verse 25. When you have it tonight, say amen. All right, it reads like this. It says, These things I have spoken to you in a figurative language. But the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I, pray, uh, I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I have came forth from God. I came forth from the Father, and I have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. Jesus is speaking about the events that we're getting ready to see about the ascension of Christ. At, at the resurrection time. Verse 29, but his disciples said to him, see now you, you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and that no need that anyone should question you. Uh, by this, we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, now has come that you will be scattered each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. Verse 33, these things have I spoken to you that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. Speak to our hearts, spirit of the living God. We pray you give us ears to hear and heart to receive revelation tonight that will change our lives. Lord, you're good and your mercy endures forever. Thank you tonight for this time. Blessed, I pray in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Well, as I said, good evening, everybody. We're going to continue um, on our series tonight. What's up with that? And <clears throat> there are several different things that I want to endeavor to cover over the next few weeks. Some very difficult things. As your pastor, I feel it is vitally important for me to be a good steward with the Word of God, uh, to cover not just the easy things, but the difficult things. The thing about the Word of God, the Word of God is like a coin. There are two sides to every coin, right? If you have a coin that has both heads and both tails, it's what? It's a trick coin. But the Word of God has two sides. That's why the Bible tells us it's like a double-edged sword. And so tonight, we're going to look at something that I believe will help you, warn you, and encourage you. And so tonight, as we're looking at our text, and particularly John chapter 16, verse 33, I've entitled this message tonight, The Truth About Trouble. Say that with me. The Truth about trouble. John 16, 33, Jesus says this, in this world, you will have trouble. Now, the question we got to ask is, what's up with that? I mean, man, the, the, the world is filled with injustice. The truth of the matter is, this world right now is in a fallen state. Would you agree with that? When Adam and Eve transgressed God in the Garden of Eden, at that moment, the sin nature entered into the world. And at that moment, the death clock began, poverty entered the world, all the sickness, all of these things that God never intended. It was not a part of his original plan. If you want to know God's original plan for mankind, look at, look at how we end up in the book of Revelation when Christ redeems and restores all things. It finishes the way he intended. Man in perfection with God, unbroken, in a garden with the sin, the curse of sin lifted off of a new created, regenerated land. That's what we see. But right now, you and I don't live in eternity. We live in the nasty now and now. 
We live in the earth that's still stained with the curse of sin. And so when Adam and Eve transgressed what was perfect, what was made to be holy and, and, and for man to enjoy became corrupt. So what was God's answer? We're getting ready to, to deal with this in great detail over the next few weeks as we look at Palm Sunday, as we look at the resurrection of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, and God's plan for redemption and restoration for mankind was the unthinkable. He sent his son Jesus Christ in the form of human flesh through a through a womb of a virgin Mary, and he lived a sinless life and ultimately bled and died to be what the Bible calls, here's a big word, the propitiation or the substitute for our sin. He literally took the payment, the penalty rather, that was due our name. God accepted his life as payment. Now, here's what I want you to realize when we look at this. You and I are redeemed. Everybody shout redeemed. We ought to shout that from the rooftop. David said it in Psalms, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. He whom the Lord has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. I love the old song, redeemed, redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Uh, it's something that you and I have to have the reality of. We are redeemed from sin, the curse of sin, the curse of the law, and all that it offers. You ought to say amen to that tonight. That's good stuff. But the question remains... What does it mean when we're redeemed? When were we redeemed? How are we redeemed? And tonight I want to look at a tension in the Bible that I think will flip a switch in your mind. Are you ready to go here with me tonight? All right. I trust your good Bible students. I need you to be ready for this one. The Bible teaches a tension. Now I need you to understand tension. How many of you know that a rubber band is only effective when you put tension on it, right? But what happens when you put too much tension on a rubber band? It snaps, becoming ineffective. So there has to be some tension on this rubber band. And here's the tension that we live with in the Scripture. And I can show you this pattern over and over and over and over again. Let's start with salvation. How many of you are saved tonight? You love the Lord You've accepted Christ as your Savior. Let me tell you what the Scripture says about your salvation. Are you ready? Here's the Scripture in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Paul writes, he says, uh, For by grace you have been saved through faith. He says, not of works, it's the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. It's not of ourselves. So that's what Paul said. Notice he says, for by grace you have been. Everybody say, you have been. Who wrote this passage? Paul. Paul wrote it to the church at Ephesus. Now, does the Bible contradict itself? No. At times it may appear, but yet it doesn't. That's why you never take one verse without examining in, in context the whole of Scripture. Because look what Paul also said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Look at this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us, Paul said us, he's including himself, but to us who are being saved, right? Do you see that? To us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So in Ephesians, Paul says we have been saved. And then in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says we who are being saved. 
But he doesn't even stop there. Paul also wrote the book of Romans, and Romans chapter 5 says it like this. Uh, He says, much more than having uh, now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved through the wrath that uh, shall be saved from the wrath through him. So here's the tension. We have been saved, we are being saved, and we shall be saved. Are y'all still tracking with me tonight? Or am I not reading out of a different book? This is the theological tension in the scripture that we have to deal with. It's the now, but not yet. Everybody say now, but not yet. You know, the scripture teaches this in another aspect. According to the way that we believe um, our end-time theology, which is our eschatology, we believe that Christ is going to come to earth and reign literally in what we call a thousand-year reign, the millennial reign of Christ. Anybody ever heard of that before? How many of you know that kingdom is not here yet? It's obvious by the way the world is going. But yet, Jesus said, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. So the kingdom is here, but its fullness is not here all the way. Are you following me? So what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say all of this in a nutshell. You and I are redeemed creatures living in a not yet redeemed world. Peter says that there's coming a day when the Messiah, when he comes, he will renovate the earth with fire, right? How many of you know they've stolen the symbol of the rainbow? Or they have attempted to? And they've made it into a symbol of perversion. The rainbow was a sign of God's covenant that he would not ever flood the earth in such a way again. Wiping out all of the earth's iniquity. But yet the Bible says in Peter, this time not with water but by fire. He will renovate the earth and create a new heaven and a new earth. So everything that you see, taste, touch and feel right now will one day be no more. But right now, you and I are redeemed, living in an unredeemed earth. So we have this process. We have been saved. We are currently being saved. And we shall be saved. What does that mean? That means that we're saved, past tense, by the work that Jesus did on the cross. We are being saved because Paul said to work out our own salvation. And we shall be saved because the fullness of our salvation will be realized when we get to eternity. Now, that brings me to my point tonight. Paul teaches it in another way like this. We've been justified, we are being sanctified, and there's coming a day where we will be glorified. (laughs) You missed a good good spot right there to say amen. We have been justified, we are being sanctified, and we will one day be glorified. Amen? Anybody else looking for that glorified body? Amen. I'm excited for the upgrade. Hallelujah. It'll be good. So tonight, I want to look at this text that we've looked at tonight. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. Now, why is that important? Jesus also said that in that passage, he's overcome the world. So we're living in a, in a, in a reality here of now but not yet. So let me look at this with you tonight and see what we can pull out of this because it's very, very important for us. Because we live in an earth right now, right, where the 
earth is still stained with sin, but the Bible promises us an eternity where there is no curse, there is no sin, no sorrow, no sickness. Now, right now, here's what we're dealing with. So go with me back to John chapter 16, and and let's look at this. And I'm going to bring out some things in here tonight that will I, I feel will be a blessing to you. Jesus is getting ready to leave. He is getting ready to, to go to heaven. And, of course, you know, if you follow the Gospels any, uh, Peter had some, some issue with that. And Jesus told him, you know, Peter, I'm getting ready to go to the cross. And, and Peter really wasn't trying to hear that. He wanted Jesus to stay and set up and overthrow the Roman kingdom and, and to set up his kingdom on earth. And Jesus kindly rebuked Peter and said, Peter, you know, you're not thinking with your spiritual man. You're thinking with the carnal man and uh, all of those things. And so what we see is that Jesus is trying to prep them for the departure. And he's speaking to them very plainly. And Jesus tells them, you know, I'm getting ready to go. It's important. And then he says, when I leave, he said, I want you to know you'll find peace in me. He said, my peace that you find will be found in me. And he said, in this world, he's talking to his disciples, in this world, you will have tribulation. He said, but take courage because I've overcome the world. Now, I think it's vitally important that Jesus talked to his disciples in such a way. Now, I want to say something to you tonight because the word tribulation, it throws people off a little bit. Now, a lot of times if you say the word tribulation, especially in a church setting, a lot of people's minds automatically go to the great tribulation or the seven-year tribulation period. That was not what Jesus was talking about in this passage. Uh, The word tribulation simply means trouble, Uh, the trouble of the earth. The the Bible says in uh, the book of Romans that the whole earth is groaning in earnest manifestation for the sons of God. The earth is waiting for redemption because of the curse. And so he's not talking about the tribulation. He's trying to tell the disciples that in the world, they are going to have difficulty. And I think that's important because so many people have painted a life uh, in Western Christianity that somehow Christians are exempt from problems or they're exempt from troubles. And we're going to get into some details of this in just a moment. But I think it's important for you to know this. I personally, and this is my personal opinion, but I personally believe that when Paul refers to the great falling away in the last days, I believe that one of the reasons why people will fall away is because, especially in the West, they've been taught that Jesus is going to come get us before anything bad happens. Now, the problem is that flies in America, but it doesn't fly in Pakistan. It doesn't fly in uh, Muslim countries where people have been dying and being persecuted for their faith for hundreds of years. And so we believe in the rapture of the church. I don't want to diminish that. It's not something to be afraid of. In fact, the rapture is called the blessed hope. We're supposed to look for the blessed hope. And my theological persuasion is that the rapture happens before the seven-year tribulation period. I've taught that, and I won't reiterate that again tonight. So I'm not talking about that, and neither is Jesus. But here's what I do want to tell you. Before Jesus comes, I believe there will be persecution. There will be persecution in America even, like we've never seen before. And you say, Pastor, I just can't believe that. Well, let me tell you, it may not look like other countries. 
It may not look like in our civilized land what other people have had to deal with in more primitive nations. But nonetheless, Jesus promised us in the world you'll have trouble. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Here's truth number one, okay? Truth number one. Here you go. You ready? This is for all of us. Truth number one. You are not exempt from trouble. You are not exempt from trouble. Um, There's a lie that says when we're Christians, we just won't go through anything, and that's an extreme that we have to avoid. Now, when I say trouble, I don't mean from God. God's a good God, right? God's not giving people sickness. He's not putting sickness on people to teach them a lesson. We would call DHS on a natural father for doing such a thing. God, I'm not talking about God causing tragedy. I'm talking about things in life we have no control over. Things that just happen. There are, there are natural disasters. There are things like that. And, you know, the truth is um, we, we can rally around this all we want to. But when 9-11 happened, right, remember the towers that fell and the planes that flew in? There were saved people in those towers. Amen? There were unsaved people in those towers. When Hurricane Katrina ripped through New Orleans, there were churches that got devastated. There were uh, houses of believers who got devastated right along with unbelievers. And so God doesn't cause those things. We understand that. But tragedy and things of that nature happen to to people and, and persecution, standing for your faith. I never thought we'd be in a day where we would have to fight in legislation for a man not to compete in women's sports. Amen. You say, I don't know what you are, or I don't know what I am. Take a DNA test. Stand in front of a mirror. These days, that doesn't really matter because they surgically cut it off or put it on. I'm not trying to be funny, but every forensic scientist, when they go to dig up bones, they don't come back and say, this one's trans or this one's non-binary. It's either male or female. That's the way God made them. But I never thought we'd be in a day. And Christians, when we stand up for what we believe in, we're going to be persecuted. We're going to be called bigots. We're going to be, you know, back in the day, they used to burn people's churches down and and all kind of crazy things. And us Pentecostals, they threw eggs in our churches and caught them on fire and all kind of crazy stuff. That's what Jesus was talking about. In the world, we're not exempt from trouble. Notice this. The Lord is good. His ways are good. And his promises are good. But yet, in the New Testament and in the Old, the Bible tells us that trouble comes to humanity. Look at Psalm 34, verse 19. Psalm of King David. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Man, that's good shouting ground right there. That means there's not an affliction that the Lord can't get you out of. And here's, here's another one. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12 tells us to fight the good fight of faith. It is a faith fight. We have been redeemed. Jesus has uh, given us eternal life. We're, we're being sanctified. And when he comes and receives us or we die and he receives us, we are going to be in full in our salvation. But right now, I'm telling you, we fight a fight of faith. Why? Because this world that we live in is not redeemed. And there are a lot of people in this world that are not redeemed. That's why it's a fight. It's a fixed fight. We know who wins the fight, but we still have to fight. Not for victory, but from a place of victory. Because Jesus has overcome. 
So here's that old saying that the old timers used to say. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. Amen? We are in the world, but we're not of the world. That's why we must fight the fight of faith. So in this world, don't don't lose heart. The Bible says it like this. Don't think it's strange when you have fiery darts fired against you from the wicked one. That's what the enemy does. He tries to destroy and tear down our faith. Now here's the second truth. The second truth is this. Your peace is found in Christ, not in your circumstances. Your peace is found in Christ Not in your circumstances. Go back with me to John chapter 16 and look right here at what he says in verse 33. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that in me, everybody say in me. That in me you might have peace. We have to understand that though we live in a world that is full of trouble, we also realize that our peace is found in Christ. I like to say it like this. Something can happen to us, but we don't have to let it get in us. Right? Something can happen to us, but we don't have to let that get in us. Here's a quote that I love. It's not the water in the boat that sinks it, but the water that gets in the boat. That sinks it. Right? It's not the water around the boat that sinks the boat. It's the water that gets in the boat that sinks it. Our peace can be found in Christ, not in circumstances. Most of these are New Testament uh, examples tonight that I, that I brought out. But let me give you a couple examples that Stephen, the great first martyr of the church, did not recant his testimony whenever he was stoned for his faith. In fact, the Bible teaches us that when Jesus ascended to heaven, he sat down at the right hand of God. He was seated. Because in Middle Eastern times, even today, for a king to be seated means his work is finished and he's reigning in authority. But let me tell you something. When Stephen was stoned and he was going through the process, the book of Acts says that the heavens opened up and Stephen saw the Lord standing at the right hand of God. Almost as if he was saying, I'm proud of you, son. I'm proud of you. And the Lord gave him a standing ovation. Guess what? He stood in the middle of the trial. How can Stephen find peace with God when he's being stoned? I can tell you how. Because his peace was not in his situation. His peace was found in the Lord. Here's another great one. Peter always seemed to get himself in trouble, didn't he? This is one of the most comical to me passages in the New Testament. But it's in the book of Acts and Peter was actually sentenced to be executed. And Peter, they put him in a cell, and they were awaiting for the next day for Peter basically to get his head chopped off. Now, Peter later died with an upside-down crucifixion, according to church history, and because 11 out of the 12 apostles died a martyr's death. Only one of them died of old age, according to church history. So what we find is that Peter, when he was in the jail, right, he was in the jail awaiting his execution And an angel wakes him up because he's asleep. I don't know about you. 
I, I'm 100% called of God, but I'm also 100% human, and I have nerves and, 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 and emotions that we, I know we're not supposed to let, let control us, right? We have to learn to, to conquer our emotions, but uh, yeah, I, I don't care. I'm not afraid of dying. I want to make that 100% plain. I just don't want it to hurt. Let me go to sleep and not wake up. I mean, I mean, don't cut my head off. Don't set me on fire. I don't want to drown. I don't want to burn alive. I don't want you to pluck my fingers, fingernails out like they did in old day torture, you know. I don't want any of that. But Peter just lays up and takes a nap. How do you take a nap when you know that you're about to get your head cut off. I believe Peter resolved in his heart to have the peace of God. And so the, the reason why that story is so funny to me is the angel busts him out and the church is at, is at home having a prayer meeting, praying for Peter to get out, and, and there's a knock on the door and they're like, oh, it's Peter, that can't be true. I mean, you know, they didn't even believe their prayer, but God answered it in real time. How did Peter have the peace of God? In the middle of trial, he did it by putting his faith in Christ. What about Paul? Paul went through a lot. Anybody know Paul went through a lot? Paul was shipwrecked, snake-bitten, imprisoned, house arrest. I mean, Paul's resume of the stuff that happened to him is like this long. He was even thrown out of a city and left for dead, and God raised him up and sent him back into the city. Now, if you ask some people, they say, well, Paul just didn't have a revelation. Paul should have believed. But no, God said, in the world, you're going to have tribulation, persecution from the adversary. And what happened? Paul's sitting up in Philippi, in a Philippian jail cell. And he writes these words, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. How could Paul say that? Because Paul found his peace in God. Friend, I want to tell you tonight that no matter what is happening to you, your peace is found in God. Peace is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And Galatians says that when we're born again, the fruit of the Spirit begin to grow in our life. And one of those is peace. It's a peace that keeps our eyes on Jesus. You know, Peter walked on the water until he got his eyes on the winds and the waves. But as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he walked on the water. Y'all, I got to tell you something funny. We went and watched the Jesus play at the Sight and Sound Theater. Have you ever known somebody to clap at the wrong time? If you, First of all, if you've never been to Sight and Sound Theater, you need to go. It's awesome. Well, they have what they call um, um, environmental projection, which means that literally they have projection screens that, that pan the whole auditorium. So when they change scenes, they don't necessarily have to do wallpapers and backdrops, although they have some of those things. They just change the scene on the projectors, and it, it can go from a forest to the desert to whatever, and it's, it's amazing. And I don't know how they did it, but they, they were rolling through the Gospel of John, and, and um, uh, there came a part to where they were telling the story of when Peter walked on the water, right? And, and Jesus is saying, look at me, Peter. And all of a sudden, Peter begins to look at the winds and the waves, and, and Peter begins to drown, and somebody starts clapping. I'm like, I'm like, Either that was that man's ex-girlfriend or they got their timing wrong. I'm like, wait till Jesus saves them. But anyway, it was funny. 
Timing is everything. You could have heard a pin drop, by the way. It was awesome. Peter was able to have the peace of God when his faith was in Christ. Those are New Testament things, but what about the Old Testament? What about, what about Daniel in the lion's den? What about how he would not bow down when he was told, you can't worship and pray to your God? But what did Daniel do? He got up in the window where everybody could hear And they sentenced him to the lion's den, and the Lord had supernaturally closed the mouth of the lion, and there they come in the morning, and Daniel's just sleeping. Because you can have peace when you have your eyes and your faith in the Lord. Here's what I want you to note, though. God did not keep any of these men of God out of those situations. Did you hear what I said? Sometimes I think we're better than Paul, or we think we are. We're better than Peter, or even Jesus, who went through trials and adversities. Now, I'm not talking about sickness and things like that. I'm talking about just the troubles and trials of the world. Now, think about this. Uh, You know, they went through this, but God did not keep them out of all of these valleys, but he did deliver them either from them or through them, right? Am I in the book tonight? Now, Daniel in the lion's den, God didn't supernaturally take him out. He delivered him through it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God did not deliver them out of it. He delivered them through it. Peter, on the other hand, God busted him out. Paul and Silas, Acts 16, Paul, God busted them out. Here's the thing. God will deliver us. But that doesn't exempt us from the heartache or the problem. Here's number three. The third truth is this. Our victory is in Christ. Jesus said, but take heart, don't lose courage. I have overcome the world. Right? Now, I like this passage because it shows us some revelatory truth. What we see here that Jesus says, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Now guess what? You ready for this? This is heavy. Jesus' death on the cross, right? When he literally stretched out his arms and bore the sin and sickness of the world upon his shoulders. And he said, it is finished. And the veil of the temple was rent. And the earthquake was felt throughout the earth. And the graves of many were opened. And he was seen alive by his disciples for 40 days. You know, that there's powerful things there that we see in the scripture. But here's what I want you to see tonight. Jesus' death purchased our everlasting redemption. Right? Right now, if you're saved, you are as saved as you will ever be saved. I tell people like this, being saved is like being pregnant. You you either are or you're not. You're not halfway saved, a quarter saved, three-quarter saved. You're either saved or you're not saved. That's how it works. But our salvation is fully realized whenever we Enter the eternal portals of glory. Now, that doesn't say we don't have a measure of eternal life right now. The Bible says he who has the Son has life. But what I want to tell you tonight is this. No matter how bad this world ever gets, 
with its pain, with its heartache, with all of those things, if you're a born-again child of God, you hear me? This world is the only measure of pain you'll ever experience. The Bible said, a day with the Lord is likened to a thousand years, and a thousand years is likened to a day. What do we have? 70, 80 years, of strength, 80 years reason of strength. Some people say 120. I won't argue with you. There, there's a man I saw on the internet the other day that is in Thailand. I think is 110 years old. He looks like a skeleton with breath in his body. It, he, some people, if you can live that long and whatever, then praise the Lord. I want to live as long as I'm effective. I don't want to live in a nursing home. But somebody has to take care of me. Thank God for those people. We've had to do that for family and things of that nature. But I want to be effective and, and, and go home to be with Jesus. But what am I trying to tell you? All of the pain, all of the heartache is worth it. I want to go back to what I, what I said a moment ago, and I'm getting ready to close. I think when heartache truly hits the church before the coming of Christ, I'm telling you, I'm not a doomsday prophet. I'm not even a prophet. I'm a pastor. But I'm telling you, as heaven's witness tonight, we have not seen the worst it's going to get in America. We've only seen the tip of the iceberg. You know, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I, I feel like a lot of the persecution that, that we will experience will be um, media censorship. We've already seen that. You know, um, you, you, you do know, by the way, the only news you see on TV is what they want to show you, right? You know that? You know that I can go to Kenya and see news about the U.S. that you can't see in the U.S. because the U.S. has filtered it out. I've seen it. I've seen it. I was laying in the bed talking to my wife one night when I was in Kenya two years ago in 20, at, whenever we were finally able to go at the end of 2020, and there was stuff going on in the U.S. that you could see on the Internet that you couldn't see in the U.S. because they filter it. Then there's laws and you may not know a whole lot about churches and taxes and 501c3 statuses and things of that nature, but, but what if they, they want to really get in on the church and say, you know, well, if you're going to preach about this and you're going to do this, then you're going to have to pay tax on everything. You don't think it'll cause an issue. It will. There's some people that only give for a tax write-off. If they don't get it, they won't give. possibility of cutting Christian television I'm not prophesying I'm just telling you what I see because I'm not like an ostrich with my head in the sand I know that the day gets darker before the dawn but guess what folks no matter what they do I'm going to heaven <laughs> amen I'm going to heaven and I can have a little bit of heaven down here, but you know what? Devil, do what you want to do. I'm victorious in Christ. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to stand. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. Amen? I'm going to be victorious in the Lord. I'm going to rejoice in the God of my salvation. And I'm going to be like Paul. If they put me in prison, I'll sing in the midnight hour. Because God is good. Amen.
tonight you've heard the truth about trouble. You're not exempt from it. Our peace is not found in our circumstances. And our victory is through Christ. And many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers them out of them all. And that delivering may not be like we think. But if he don't deliver us from it, he will deliver us through it. Amen? God is good. Stand up on your feet.